Hey guys, this is Gail Kim from Impact Wrestling, and you are listening to the 8-Bit Suplex Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the 8-Bit Suplex here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Uh, I am your host, Josh McLaughlin. I'm joined by my friend. You've heard him before on a previous podcast. Uh, longtime gamer, uh, longtime friend, uh, Mr. Lane Farman. Lane, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, doing good. I'm, I'm happy to be here again. Uh, love helping out and uh, talking talking about games. So I'm doing I'm doing good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have a, a really special edition here because we have just now lane hit uh last month 25 years of the nintendo 64 wow it makes me feel exceptionally old um we are we are uh in the past 25 years we've you know graduated high school college had children and uh the nintendo 64 has not aged extremely gracefully um (laughs) It we has more gracefully. Yeah, you know, we we decided for 25 years we were going to do a top 25 list, and it's um, it became very difficult after the first uh, 15 or so to kind of, you know, slot in some of these other ones because it is a little bit difficult. the The catalog is uh, not as vast as some of the other systems of the 90s, and not as good. But you know, we we can kind of talk. I mean. What was uh, kind of your experience, uh, Lane, with the Nintendo 64 uh, in its heyday? Well, it's funny. So I was thinking about it. You just said 25 years. I was four. So, uh, but I remember being around. I remember seeing it at the mall. Uh, I thought that the purple atomic one was cool looking. Uh, And I think it was $100. By the time that I actually saw one in the wild, it was being sold at a store for $100. My parents never got me the, the new stuff. So when I was four, I was playing the NES. I think you had kind of a similar experience. Yep. yep. Uh, Then when we, when I moved, I was like, uh, I don't even remember how old I was. They bought me a super Nintendo at a garage sale when I, when I was like seven or eight. So, so they were, they were slowly, you know, I was always, you were getting there. You were getting there. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I really played in 64 was it was at a Walmart, you know, craning my neck up at the screen to play Diddy Kong racing. Uh, That was my first experience. Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, great call out to the Walmart de- demo stations because those were <laughs> absolutely terrible, um, and and not designed for any. I mean, for maybe for a giraffe, uh, yeah. that might have been who they designed those for. Because in, unless you were a child of the '90s and, and went to Walmart to try the new game that they had on display, um, you don't know what we're talking about. But basically, imagine if you were that you were standing uh, profile against a wall. And looking straight up at a television screen while also holding a controller that is just like got about six inches of leeway from the wall. And it is, I mean, it was pathetic. Yeah, it's um, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I, I don't know why Walmart did it for so long that way. And then now I, you know, they've obviously long since there's no demo stations in stores anymore. Um, I think even the ones at GameStop are just videos. I, I don't know what's playable anymore. Mm-hmm. Although I don't remember the last time I went into a GameStop uh my my local Oldsmar one here uh, shut down. So oh man, um, yeah. I mean it's you know it stinks, but you know such is the way, man. Slowly going the way of the buffalo, as they say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you know the Nintendo sixty four released in September of nineteen ninety six, and it was the first console I remember buying when it came out. And by buying, I mean my brother bought it. He saved up his allowance for like five years. Um, in anticipation of what was going to come after the super Nintendo. And so he took that and uh, he went and bought the Nintendo 64 and the two launch games, which were super Mario 64 and pilot wings 64. Hmm. They did not release another game uh, for that system for like a month and a half after that in the (laughs) States. Um, But we got, we definitely played uh, our hearts out. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was it was a good time. You know, I mean, we really enjoyed uh, our 64. Uh, we I still am in possession of it. Uh, my brother kind of didn't 
uh, hold on to a lot of his old gaming gear as he got older and decided that he didn't care about games as much as I did. Mm. Uh, so I still have my original Nintendo 64 complete with the expansion pack. Yes, um, that's important. It is very important, especially yeah. for the games that require it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Lane, it took your system from 64 megs to, I believe, uh, 128. Is that what it was? It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's it going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you, too. How much were those launch titles? Because I remember, I remember seeing, weren't they like $80? When I they think they were 70. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I think okay. they were 70. And what's crazy about that is that like I don't remember Super Nintendo games being more than like 20 or 30 dollars. And that may just be because I was I was super young when I was buying yeah. them. Um but yeah, so uh yeah, and I misspoke. It wasn't 64 megs in the, the 64. Oh, it, was. it wasn't. It was four megs of memory, and the expansion pack is an additional four megs of memory. Oh, gotcha. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, the 64 oh, is in reference to uh you know uh the uh the colors uh bits and stuff like that that I right, right. 64 right. bit yeah. um you'll you'll excuse this podcast for getting wrong. i mean I'm, you know we're the 8-bit suplex not the 64-bit suplex after all right that's right um but yeah no i remember those games being exceptionally expensive um and i don't recall any reason in particular why um it's just the way it was and we accepted it and uh we shelled out 70 bucks uh, and occasionally 80 bucks uh, for like uh, a title that would include like a memory pack or it would include a rumble pack. Um, if you remember the Nintendo 64 controller is uh, largely hailed as one of the worst controllers of all time. I don't feel that way personally, but that's because I played with it from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I cannot to this day use a Nintendo 64 controller without at least a rumble pack in the back of it. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I just it feels too light, you know. I get the same. So the PS3 controller was like that, where where obviously there was no way to fix it, uh, other than like strapping a barbell to it or something. But the, the PS3 <laughs> controller has a similar weight to it as the N64 controller it does. Sans Rumble Pack, and I I had the same feeling when I first started playing, like I don't know Killzone Two or whatever I was playing on PS3. Yeah, it's it, you know there's a lot of debate about that controller. I mean the nintendo 64 controller the control stick had some problems um you know especially when uh well in what title we'll get into here shortly uh with mario party and things like that where you would have to spam rotating that stick um and it i mean i i know that there was like class action lawsuits filed about that stick um from like people rubbing blisters into their thumbs to just outright just breaking the control stick um and those controllers uh we're not cheap and Nintendo still doesn't sell cheap controllers as it turns out. Um, but we love them nonetheless. Good luck finding an N64 controller with a joystick that operates as it's intended to. That will almost never happen. I have one. So I've been collecting for a long time. I think I have five N64 controllers. Only one of them is worth anything uh, in terms of the joystick. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can buy third party ones now, obviously that they sell in like retro game stores. Uh, with reinforced uh, control sticks and, and better uh, better things, but it's not authentic, you know. No. If it doesn't say Nintendo in the middle, I don't want to pick it up. That's, that's just, right. That's right. That's, I know you operate the same way, Lane. But, yeah. But, you know, maybe yeah, maybe sure. we're the wrong ones. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you know, but yeah, that's uh, you know, I think that's enough backstory about the system, the controller. Uh, if you want more of it, obviously, there's plenty of things on the internet about the Nintendo 64 and and kind of how it revolutionized, uh, you know, the way that games were played. Um, it was a uh, system that was born out of um, the an era that was switching to discs, and it cost Nintendo a lot of exclusivity. Exclusivity, excuse me. Uh, that kind of continued. I, I mean, this was the first branch off of Nintendo losing a lot of third-party support. Um, that's continued on the way through now into the Switch, and Switch is starting to get some of that more, um, even though they're still using cartridges. Um, uh, but yeah, the Nintendo 64, I mean, up until this point, every Final Fantasy game was a Nintendo exclusive. They lose that ability with Final Fantasy 7 because it was much too large of a game. And Square said, we need to run this thing on a disc. And they put it on three discs. There's not really a way to do that with the cartridge. Um, so, I mean, I think I had read somewhere, Lane, like to, to have Final Fantasy 7 fit on a cartridge, it would have taken like 60 cartridges. Oh, um, which if we're paying $70 a cart uh, retail, that's not going to work out too well. <laughs> that is so, that is so cool to think about. And you wonder, is it because of the soundtrack too? Cause I know that was a big thing. 
that is a big part of it. Um, the sound, because we're getting away from uh, some of the synth uh, kind of right. sounds and things like that that were prevalent in the Super Nintendo, right? Obviously, there's great music from the Final Fantasy series in the Super Nintendo. Um, but that was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, pixelated loops that were not very large in size. And, you know, the way that the medium has progressed, you need to have these big musical scores. Um, and so Nintendo lost a lot of that. So as we go through this list, you'll see a lot of uh, 64 exclusive games, um, a lot of first party games. Um, and then it, the other thing that's prevalent is uh, Rare. Uh, Rare does a, a, did a lot with the 64 and they were one of the only companies to do so. Um, so yeah, I think uh, we can get right into it, Lane. What do you think? Cool. cool. Yeah, sounds good. I, I, I thought that's, I've never thought about the the this forming the trajectory of the rest of Nintendo's sort of as the first party uh, system. But that's really true because if you look at the Super Nintendo library, I'll, I'll, so much crosses between SNES and uh, Genesis, like so much. Yeah. And that just kind of vanishes almost overnight with the N64. So no, I, that's that's really cool. And then they doubled down, like, and they said, all right, fine, we'll do this, uh, but they're going to be super small. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, what in the world is that? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and, and, hey, you know what? When the uh, GameCube hits 25 years, we'll talk more about that. Oh, but, uh, that's uh, be a lot of fun. That, I think we could do a little bit more fun of a list. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, but here we go. Uh, we'll, go. We'll, we'll start uh, first with an honorable mention, and we'll start with the honorable mention Pokemon Snap, uh, which first came out in 1999 on the Nintendo 64. Pokemon Snap is, of course, a a, uh, a stylized version of a rail shooter uh, in the sense that you are literally on a rail. You cannot go forwards or backwards. You are set in a predetermined motion. But in the difference between this and any other Pokemon game is that you are literally taking pictures of them. Um, it was a interesting concept when it came out. Um, people were kind of like, oh, we wanted a real Pokemon game on 64. And I think that's probably why this doesn't go higher on the list is because it's not a true Pokemon game. Um, they did at least the new Pokemon Snap, uh, that is the title, new Pokemon Snap, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it, and it's gotten a lot of critical praise. It's a beautiful game. Um, definitely worth checking out both the original on the 64 and the new one on the Switch. Uh, but I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, it, it can be frustrating at times where you're sitting there going down your path and you miss by a hair, you miss the Doug trio sticking its third head out of the ground. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an all right game. A lot of, you're going to see a lot of that at the start of this list as games that are <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, especially with the honorable mentions that well, well, you know, I'll go Pokemon snap for the first honorable mention here, Lane. Well, cool. Uh, so uh, that's uh, it's interesting. Is you're making me think about the system limitations. I mean, that's why they couldn't have a Pokemon game on on N64, right. right? Because they couldn't. It takes 60 cartridges or whatever. So we didn't actually get a quote unquote real system Pokemon game until the Switch, right? Until Sword and Shield. Yeah, I mean, well, technically, I mean, uh, let's go Pikachu and let's go Eevee. We're we're on there first, which are basically reskins of uh, Pokemon Yellow. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, but, that's right. That's yeah, right. but but yes, an original uh, would be the Switch. Yeah. So so my first honorable mention is going to be a game I never played. I just want to play it. <laughs> that's why it's an honorable mention. And it's Ogre Battle sixty four. So I'm a big, me, Josh and I both big RPG gamers. Uh, <clears throat> talk a lot about RPGs and and the 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 famous uh, what is it the one night marathon playthrough of Final Fantasy VII that, yeah, that you did uh -huh. one time yeah uh, but uh, anyway oh, there's not really any RPGs on the N64 there are some and I'm really interested in those I love playing weird games on on systems so uh, the one game that I just really want to get is Ogre Battle '64 all the footage I see this game looks super cool like kind of a top down kind of strategy game. Uh, it looks like nothing that I've ever played on the N64. And so I just, I needed to include this because it's one of the only games of its kind on the system and it is highly regarded. I mean, people think it's a good game. So that's going to be my first honorable mention, even though uh, I never had the pleasure of, of playing it. Yeah, it's worth talking about. It is, it is a, uh, this is, you know, a game that comes out right about the same time that Final Fantasy Tactics does. Um, and so that top-down strategy style is pretty popular at this time. So uh, definitely uh, looks like one that that is worth checking out for sure. Cool. Um, and and this might be our first uh, eyebrow raiser, uh, so to speak, of this list. As, and why this one is only an honorable mention. Um, and it is 
partly because of what would happen in, in to the controller mm. and what would, you know, we, we mentioned it previously. Uh, the honorable mention is uh, Mario party. Um, so I, you know, we're, not, we're probably going to get some flack for this. Mario party is a fun party game. It is, but you have to remember that this is Nintendo 64. The only way to play multiplayer is sitting next to your buddy on the couch. Um, and that can, you know, a lot of times you want to play something by yourself. There's, this is not a game to play by yourself. Um, in, in the era of consoles not being connected to the internet, you really needed a good single player mode. And I, you know, I can hear people now saying, well, but the point was multiplayer. Yeah, I understand that. But there are plenty of other multiplayer games that had a playable single player mode. Uh, so that's why Mario Party is just an honorable mention. I think that it's good that it's an honorable mention because this game uh, create like created a genre of games that is mostly awful. Uh, so I mean, it's it's uh, the sins of this of this game put it on honorable. I mean, I mean, I think the worst one is 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 Sonic Shuffle. That's one of the worst games I've ever played. But a lot of people say there's an Animal Crossing one on the Wii U um, called like Harvest Festival or something like that. Yeah, that game is terrible. We, yeah, we, yeah. We, we don't need to we don't need to bring that one up. It's really bad. <laughs> but just just to say that's you know this game is lucky to be an honorable mention because uh, this genre does not does not do super well. It doesn't. <laughs> Oh, and the, the next honorable mention. So I had to put this one on there. Like I said, I love strange games on systems. Uh, Mega Man 64. I think it's the only Mega Man game. I'm, I'm super into Mega Man. We need to do an episode on Mega Man one day, actually. Maybe top, maybe yeah. on one of those anniversaries. But uh, the fact that there's a Mega Man game on the N64, that makes me happy. And it's, it's a port of Mega Man Legends, um, which is a great game. Um, arguably it has its fans it's a little bit polarizing people love it or hate it it's a good dungeon crawler in my opinion um weird direction for mega man the the reason it's an honorable mention is is it's not like i said it's not exclusive and it's not that much different from mega man legends i just am glad that it exists um i recently paid 350 dollars for a copy of mega man on game gear uh, for the same reason, because I'm just glad that these strange games exist. And so that's why it is on my uh, honorable mention list. Yeah, that's a weird flex. Uh, but you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, that's a hard game to find. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing your wife's not in the room to uh, to relive that with you. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that is a, uh, uh, I mean, I, I was not a big Mega Man 64 guy, but I know that you were. And, and Mega Man in general, I think is a series that, uh, when it sticks to its true platforming, and, and this is an aside, obviously, we can we revisit this on a, a future date. Uh, when Mega Man's at its purest platforming, uh, it's amongst the best. And then yeah. I think a lot of times when it tries to do other stuff, um, it really suffers. Um, and it has weird titles and it has, I mean, there's no reason why like a soccer game in the Mega Man universe should exist, um, <laughs> but it does. Um, so, you know, but, it, but again, that's, that's perhaps a, uh, a topic for another time. You gotta um, play that. I have it. Come over I, and play it. Well, next time I'm in Oklahoma, we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> we'll strap up and and sit next to each other on the couch. Um, yep. But we're gonna start now uh, with the official list. Uh, yep. We're gonna go from 25 to one. Uh, and as as you're looking at the title for this episode, you'll notice it is part one. We we are gonna go uh, 25 down through 11, uh, probably in part one. We'll see how long we go here, but. Part two, I think, is the you know the meat and potatoes, uh, which is going to be your you know your top ten. Um, so, without further ado, number twenty five is Blast Core. Blast Core is a uh, nineteen ninety seven uh, game uh, developed by Rare, as uh, as previously mentioned. Rare is uh, a company that did a lot of work on the N sixty four, and Blast Core is it's it's hard to describe it as a singular genre, but if you play it, you know why I'm 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 struggling to find a way to talk about it. Um, but I think uh, the synopsis uh, that Wikipedia gives is pretty great. Uh, it says uh, it's a game in which the player uses vehicles to destroy buildings in the path of a runaway nuclear missile carrier. Um, that is exactly what the game is. Uh, <laughs> but you have to figure out what the uh, different vehicles uh, are good at, right? So like there's a faster car that you have to like power slide and tail whip into buildings to like knock them over. There's, you know, there's giant mechs that you can use to take out skyscrapers um there's and each level has a different level of like amount of time that you have to complete the task um so it's a really fun game if you haven't uh played it 
uh, definitely uh, try and find it. Uh, I don't know what the carts are going to go for uh, these days. Ooh, I can pull um, some of that up if you want. Let me see. But I mean, uh, I'm pulling it up if I can. It actually doesn't look too bad. Uh, probably like in that $20 range, uh, you probably find it. So uh, check out your uh, your local video game store. So oh, yeah, that's... We got that. Oh man, uh, completing. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right. The, the new price. If you're gonna buy this uh, shrink wrap, it's like three hundred bucks. But I mean, who? Who? I, I yeah, want to. Don't play. do that. No, don't do that. Yeah, it's, yeah, fifteen bucks. It's not. It's not that much of a collector's item to uh, to warrant buying it new in box. No, I never um, understood. I never understood that. Yeah, so that's number twenty-five rolling on up uh, to number twenty-four. Paper Mario, uh, like Lane mentioned. Uh, there's not a whole lot of RPG action um, in the Nintendo 64, but we do have Paper Mario. Paper Mario is kind of a a return for uh, Nintendo to try and get Mario back in an RPG. Um, and we have Super Mario RPG, which is released at the end of the Super Nintendo's life. Uh, in fact, it comes out in uh, March of 96. And like we mentioned before, that means that that game is also 25 years old. So it came, comes out the same year the 64 does. Super oh, wow. late. It's the last game that Square Enix does for, for Nintendo for a long time. Um, so Super Mario RPG, one of the all-time best. Paper Mario, I wouldn't call it an all-time best, but it is uh, you know uh, developed by Intelligent Systems. So it's a new developer working with Nintendo, trying to come up with a way to capitalize on the success of RPGs. Is the year 2000, are, you know, JRPGs are still super huge. Um, so, uh, which uh, they've never not been. Uh, but so uh, Nintendo jumps on with Paper Mario and creates a new battle system, creates a new aesthetic, and really finds a way to make a bigger game using less graphical content and really can fit on that cartridge um, by doing the, the kind of the 2D cutouts. Um, it was, I, I think it was a pretty genius move to kind of do that to be able to, uh, continue of course there is further iterations of paper mario not all of them have been as successful as the first one um although you know uh the most recent one i believe is the origami king and that one has been uh you know reviewed much better uh than the other ones yeah and is this related to the superstar saga too did it kind of spawn that yeah i think i think that it's loosely related in that nintendo really loves putting out mario everything yeah and so if they can put out a good mario rpg they're going to do it i mean uh you know that it's kind of like they're teaming up right now with ubisoft right to do the uh rabbits games oh so right. you know I, I mean nintendo's always looking for a way to to uh branch off and do rpg style games and then the rabbits games of course are that strategy tactics style um so yeah i mean this is the kind of the continuation of that that was really, I mean, you can trace it all the way back to the uh, the last Square Enix uh, Super Nintendo game, which you know, was Super Mario RPG. But that's uh, number 24, Paper Mario. All right. Uh, jumping to number 23, Pokemon Stadium. Uh, I was excited about this game when I was a kid, and then I was, like, re-excited about this game when I was in high school. Uh, that's really when I was starting to collect. Uh, when I was a kid, of course, the excitement was seeing these these Pokemon uh, that, that were on your Game Boy uh, fighting in these 3D environments. It's so flashy. I mean, thinking about it now, it is another way to make a Pokemon game on a system with limitations. It can only show, it's like a series of battles. What's cool is that you don't have to have a Pokemon game in order to play it, but one of the coolest peripherals, this is what I was excited about when I was in high school. So it's uh, something that you attach to the back of your controller and you can put your Game Boy card in that you have all your Pokemon, you know, Pokemon red, blue, or yellow. You can actually put those Pokemon in the Pokemon Stadium game with their, their exact experience, moves, everything translates over. And then fight, you know, the, the gym battles and, the, and everything in there. You can fight with your friends. It's just like a really flashy, cool, like better way of doing what the Game Boy already did. Um, and uh, it's a really complete package, too. I mean, it's got, you know, the battling is kind of the main thing. The story mode going through all the gym leaders and the Elite Four and everything. But then uh, there's also a series of mini games. I don't remember if it was pre-Mario Party or not, but I think that... Uh, sometimes me and my friends would just play the mini games more than actually having our Pokemon fight. Uh, 
like I said, when I was in high school, I got in, I got back into Pokemon Red and then got super excited. I think you can even use it like a Super Game Boy. And there's a mode where you can actually play Pokemon through the N64 on your TV, yeah. uh, which is amazing and super fun. So, I mean, I don't know. This is just a really, really cool uh, peripheral for the system. And it was the best way to play Pokemon um, probably until Gold and Silver came out. And then, of course, they they uh, they had Pokemon Stadium 2, which I didn't really play. But really, really cool idea there. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and uh, the device that you're talking about is the uh, aptly named Transfer Pack. Um, which when you had your Pokemon game in your transfer pack, there was an option to transfer your Pokemon in, or like you said, you can actually just use it as a pass through to your TV and play on the television, your Pokemon red, blue, or yellow, um, which was really yeah. cool. Uh, because like you yeah. said, there, the super game boy was the only other way to do that. And you know, the super game boy had some limitations and things. So, um, but actually that was a really good peripheral too. Um, Oh yeah. I love that too. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, that's number 23. Cool. Uh, moving to 22, Kirby, 64 Kirby and the Crystal Shards. Uh, I love Kirby games. Uh, Kirby is another one of those, kind of like Josh was saying about Mario, where they just, uh, and Pokemon too, where, the, where sometimes it seems like they'll do anything, but just make a straightforward platformer of Kirby. You got, uh, you got the tilt and tumble on the Game Boy. You got, let's see, oh, Kirby's Air Ride for the GameCube, which, by the way, is an extremely rare game now. I don't know if yeah, you played that's, no, that's, <laughs> I, ha, I have played it, um, but it is impossible to find. Oh, my goodness. Those GameCube, that's what's in right now is those GameCube games. So, uh, but Kirby 64, straightforward N64 platformer. And what was so cool about Kirby 64 was the it actually had this system where I think they use it in Superstar Saga as well, but this was the first time that I encountered it myself was in Kirby 64 in the Crystal Shards where when you, you could get one ability, just like in Smash Brothers where Kirby, you know, eats the, the enemy and then takes their ability. But then you can, then if you eat another enemy, you can combine it. Or if you, if they, if you, you know, eat both their energy or whatever, it combines into a new thing. So right. one really funny example is, uh, and some of them don't work. Uh, so it's a really fun kind of um experience because you're testing things out what does this do what does that do what do they do when you combine them uh when you one that i remember is if you get the ice ability and then i think you combine it with the electric ability this i think it could be something else um you turn into like a refrigerator and you're just like stationary you can't really do it <laughs> and uh uh i haven't played this in a long time so maybe the fridge had some cool things that you could do but uh i don't think it did i think that was <laughs> okay, but uh, really fun game, beautiful game too. Just and really good looking. The 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 um, character designs are really big, so it's a platformer um, that just looks really beautiful. Uh, and yeah, I think this was b between Kirby Superstar on the on the um, Super Nintendo. There was this platformer. Then there wasn't another Kirby, just regular Kirby platformer for a long time. I think the Game Boy Advance did a couple that were ports. Right, I, right, and I don't remember when the next new one was. So this was. I don't really... know that we have had one to be perfectly yeah. honest, because even the one on the, the Kirby game on the Switch right now is a uh, free to play, um, kind of uh, you know, money money maker. Uh, right, right. Nolan, uh, Nolan, my five year old, has played, um, and has spent some of my money without me knowing. But oh boy, um, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. He only spent yeah. like five bucks. He's like, I need more crystals, and then oh, I was like, okay. okay. And then he just did it. I don't know how. I, I I changed the setting on my Switch shortly thereafter, and he since has now has his own Switch that is you know very password protected. Oh, there you um, go. There you go. Well, tell him Kirby and the so, Crystal Shards. You can get Crystal Shards without microtransactions on the on the N sixty four. There you go. There you go. <laughs> moving, moving right along. Uh, this game uh, when it was released was thought of as canon. It's since the Disney acquisition not been made canon. I don't believe it. But it is Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. And uh, this game was kind of, I don't remember any over-the-shoulder third-person shooters that flowed this well Yeah, yeah. Uh, before this one. Uh, oh, I know, was, I know of one that we'll get to later. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, but this one might have come out first because this right came, okay okay this one came out in the launch year um it came out gotcha. in december of 96 so it's pretty early on in the uh life cycle for the 64 uh the one that you're talking about of course uh i'm sure we'll get to in part two and that came out much later oh gotcha okay um but this one um 
what's interesting about it is that it's a Star Wars video game that is based on a novel. Um, and uh, the novel was, I don't even remember it being the most popular of the novels, um, just simply because Timothy Zahn didn't write it. Um, I thought he did. I thought Timothy Zahn did. Oh, okay. Okay. Not. Um, I know everyone, everyone wants to give him credit for that one, um, <laughs> but he did not. So by uh, Steve Perry. Yeah, right. you're right. So uh, of course this follows uh, the story of another uh, Corellian smuggler uh, in the vein of Han Solo, uh, a man named Dash Rendar. Yep. And uh, there was not a cooler person uh, in Star Wars than Dash Rendar. Uh, so and true. I will fight anyone and everyone who tries to tell me otherwise still to this day. Uh, because he was awesome. Uh, he was super cool. And what was crazy about this is that after the novel, they made the video game. And then after the video game, they made toys for Shadows of the Empire. No other novel that has not had a feature film, I don't think has ever had toys in the same way that Shadows of the Empire did. That because is cool. I did have Dash Rindar and his ship, the Outrider, Oh yeah, um, as a toy. It was like one of the big Christmas gifts that I got that year. Um but I, I've spent all this time talking about it. I haven't even talked about the gameplay. Um, so the game itself is pretty solid. Like I said, it's a third-person shooter. Um, it has, because of the single joystick, um, and this is a common theme for the Nintendo 64, there is auto-aim to it. Um, so you're able to run and gun. Um, you're taking out stormtroopers. Uh, the game places you at the Battle of Hoth for some reason. Um just because you know everyone wanted to have those big uh, walker battles with the speeders, um, which is revisited later again in another Star Wars game that we'll get to later in the list. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's totally unique. Uh, there's jetpacks, there's speeder bikes on Tatooine, there's uh, you know sewer monsters that scared the piss out of me when I was a kid. Um, I don't know, Lane. This is kind of the first one that we both have a lot of experience with on this yeah. list. Uh, but I don't know how well you remember that sewer monster where you have to uh, use the jetpack in the sewer water and shoot out like the tentacles and stuff. That just I I had to walk away from the sixty four as a as a six year old playing that game. My my experience so it's with the sewer monster, but my big sewer monster Star Wars moment was with Dark Forces when when I I That's couldn't handle point. it, and, and then yeah. to this day, uh, it's still yeah. really that that level still scares the shit out of me <laughs> when i play it because those things are so scary i think they're what are those things called the digana or, or, or um i don't remember what the little yeah i don't really, yeah i don't know but what i remember about shadows of the empire is that amazing uh uh junk like dump level yeah uh where On you're speeding train. train and then yeah oh my goodness and the, somehow jumping I don't know if it's like maybe it's because the controls aren't super good, but the jumping from train to train, the physics of it still feel really cool when you play that game now. And and I don't know if it's because it's dated, but but whatever is going on there, like every time you do it, it's like not a guarantee. And so you're really like it feels That's like true. It's really this really tense situation, you know, and so I always just really love that that level. Yeah, no, super. It's a super fun game. Like you said, this, the controls are pretty slippy. Um, but you know, I mean, we got star Wars on, on, and it was 3d. And I, at, at that point, like, I think the, the only other games that we had that were like super good, like you mentioned, dark forces was really good as first person and the, the, uh, the doom, uh, kind of, uh, aesthetic yeah. Yeah. Um, on the PC. Um, and then we had, uh, the super star Wars arcade games on the super Nintendo, which are super fun, oh, yeah. uh, but they are platforming. They are, you know very much you know pretty run of the mill um but now we had 3d star wars and that was pretty cool now for the next game on the list lane coming in at oh, what are we at number 20 already yeah 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 okay we're moving right along that's right so to understand <laughs> why this game exists and then why another game later on the the, the list exists you have to go back to the late 90s and what Disney slash ESPN uh, did bringing extreme sports to the forefront of our culture. Oh yeah. There were no, there was no, nothing cooler than the X games in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I've talked about pre on previous episodes when in discussing Tony Hawk's pro skater, um, 
but this is the the winter aspect of it snowboarding i swear to god the sales of snowboards must have gone up 700 percent in the late 90s um because everybody wanted to be snowboarding uh disney channel releases the movie johnny tsunami um the winter x games launch and nintendo 64 we get 1080 snowboarding oh yeah um which is the first snowboarding game that i ever played and what's crazy about this is that the game was actually developed and published by nintendo they made this game uh it's a first party uh game that many people i don't think think of that way line mm-hmm. no i don't think they do and uh i just this game is so much fun it looks great and this i think the speed of it is what really struck me uh you know as and it, it give and that give, the downhill aspect of it and the speed that's conveyed gives you just a really different sense than you get from other snowboarding games and i played some of the other franchises like what was it called cool borders is that is that what it's called that's the one that was on playstation uh yeah. i think that was uh, 99 sports yeah and it just doesn't doesn't feel the same i i think there's something special about about 1080 uh you can feel the snow hit your face you know when you when you go downhill it's it's just a it's a great thing it was really good and it is a downhill racing game. Um, you know, it, there's, there's certain limitations. I think when you talk about doing snowboards, like, to, like you said, to convey the, the massiveness of the mountains and the speed at which they are traveling and the way they were able to do that. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand how or why they were able to do it. Um, but yeah, 10 snowboarding, uh, you know, cracking the list at 20 here. Uh, we didn't get a follow-up until uh, I, I think it was called 1080 Avalanche. I really want to play that. I was just thinking um, about that. Yeah. On the GameCube. Um, and that game was a lot of fun too. Um, or it's actually called 1080 Silverstorm in Japan, as I've just learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually, that one was also uh, published uh, and developed by uh, Nintendo. So it remained a uh, pretty constant, uh, you know, pretty constant entry there uh for them as a, a developer and you know what man they need to put a new one on the switch i'm gonna they, tell them that, that would be so much fun yeah um but we have to go back to the land of rare for number 19 yep. this is a very late game in the cycle uh for the nintendo 64 and so uh there's a game that we'll get to later on uh on the list called diddy kong racing i won't tell you where it is on the list you'll have to wait you'll have to tune in later to keep listening to find out where uh but they have a racer in that game named conquer and conquer is this cute little squirrel friends with everyone and we were given this promise for years that a platforming game was going to come out from rare for conquer and everyone was like man when's this game coming when's this game coming it gets pushed back it has development problems and then, out of the blue, I get a Nintendo Power. I was subscribed to Nintendo Power at the time. With Conquer, like, holding a machine gun. I, I don't remember the exact cover. Or like a cigarette or something. Right, yeah. But we get an extremely mature. And I don't know how the game stayed at a mature rating. But an extremely mature game filled with gore, filled with uh, nonstop dick jokes, uh there's uh, i want to say there's like partial like cartoon nudity um and then there's also uh extremely good gameplay <laughs> so it is a uh it is a adventure game kind of platformer but also with guns uh there are levels that are inspired uh by the matrix uh which of course was a big movie at the time uh and it's one of the first games to use bullet time um where the you know, of course the world slows down except for you and you can you know do your dives and shoot and things like oh, that man. before max Payne, uh it's pretty close yeah yeah um because this did come out in 2001 so i'm not sure let me see i'm gonna do a real-time fact check here to see if max Payne. <laughs> uh max Payne. oh man it is so close you're right oh my gosh so max Payne comes out july 23rd of 2001 Conquer's Bad Fur Day comes out March 5th of 2001. Oh, got him. So wow. Conquer beats Max Payne to the market with bullet time by three months. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, right. So um it's uh you know it's a really fun game. It's super immature. Um 
but yeah i mean it's it's one that it's hard to find uh because it was a late release for the 64 um but it's it's a lot of fun i i, I had fun with it this is just one of the weirdest things that that exists right and a weird thing to do with the character i mean this is this is just a such an interesting story that how this thing happened i feel right. like i want to watch like a documentary about how this thing happened someone should make that well hey not, that gives me an idea to maybe do that so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure i'll reach out to those developers that are you know i'm sure really wanting to talk about it i'm sure so uh but moving on to number 18 now this is probably uh a lot of people are going i'm sorry you put this here yeah yeah and that is Mario Kart 64 at number 18. Uh, we didn't want to put it super high on the list because we think there's better racing games. We didn't want to leave it off the list altogether because we don't want to be you know blasted off the internet. That's the um, only reason though, because I totally <laughs> because we were both we were both on the cusp here, but we decided that 18 is probably a good place to put it. Um, it yeah, I mean it takes the original Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. Uh, makes it look a little bit nicer, um, but it doesn't really innovate in a way that the other later entries do. Uh, I think that the games have since gotten way better in each entry to the point where like Mario Kart 8 is the, the oh, version man. to play, right? It's the best one. Um, but it's a long ways away from what Mario Kart 64 was. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's like, there's just not a whole lot in the game. I mean, I think that people have really fond memories of this because it's really fun to play multiplayer. And when you pull out the N64 with your friends, uh, it's one of the first ones you get Smash, you get Mario Kart. Uh, you know, it's one of the first ones you play. But I mean, when you're as a, as a single player like gamer, when you're sitting there at home, there's just not a whole lot there for you. It's like you get the gold on the on the things. There's no story mode. I mean, uh, there's just not a lot in, in in the game. I think there. In fact, it, when I'm just playing games by myself. I would prefer Super Mario Kart to Mario Kart 64. I have a lot more fun just playing that one on my own. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think the two Mario Kart games for me are that one and then Mario Kart 8. I think there's some good ones on the Game Boy Advance too. But yeah, this one, it's 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 cool. People have fond memories, but yeah, not not the best uh, kart racer on here. No, it's it's there's a lot of nostalgia around it. Uh, and I think that's why people hold it in, in such high regard. But, you know, but that's it. That's entry number 18. Uh, let's, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you, Lane, for uh, number 17 here. All right, number 17 is Rayman 2, The Great Escape. Uh, super fond memories of this game. Um, I don't know. We might have to do some real-time fact-checking here because this is another one of those. I'm not sure if this was the first uh, Rayman 2 and then it was later ported to Dreamcast. Much later, it was ported to PlayStation 2 called Rayman Revolution. Um, but I want to say that Rayman 2, The Great Escape, first appeared on N64. You can real-time fact-check me on that. I'm checking um, it uh, it is a uh, fantastic adventure game. Um, one of my favorite games for the system. Um, it has a lot of the same kind of qualities as something like Banjo-Kazooie, but the gameplay is a little bit different. Um, it's it's kind of hard to explain how, um, but the world feels a, is a little bit darker um, than, than Banjo-Kazooie, which is really cool. The music has more of this kind of ethereal quality rather than the sort of like... Um, almost jokey nursery rhyme kind of quality of, of uh, um, uh, Banjo-Kazooie. And uh, it introduces some really cool characters in the Rayman sort of universe that still exist in, in the Rayman games to this day. For my money, something like Rayman Origins or Rayman um, Legends are some of the best platformers I've ever played, like straight up 2D platformers. And this one was the one that kind of introduced a lot of those characters into the Rayman universe. Um, so yeah, no, highly recommended. I think that that for whatever reason, people complain about sort of the N64 fog on some of these games where, especially uh, I remember in Turok Dinosaur Hunter, is can, it can be really hard to play because you just can't see, you know, 10 feet in front of your character because right. the N64 had like a hard time rendering things. But in Rayman 2, that effect actually works super well. I, I'd actually sort of compare it to like watching a movie on VHS or something. It gives you, or a Disney movie on VHS rather than, blu-ray it kind of fills in the gaps a little bit and makes it just feel a little bit more um mystical magical whatever so um anyway great game rayman 2 the great escape yeah and i was unable to find uh exactly uh when things came out it does look like the 64 version predates uh some of the other ones 
uh, but that could only find European release dates for some reason. So I'm not really too sure why. Um, but you know, them's gotcha. the breaks, I guess. Yeah, that's all um, right. Um, if someone <laughs> wants to correct me, <laughs> and, and, uh, you do you have a chat? Can they correct me in the chat? Uh, no, no, we don't <laughs> okay. have. Yeah, we're not. We're not. You know, we we don't have that. We're not. Yeah. We're not that advanced, uh, but you can tweet at us and we'll let the corrections uh, department take care of it. The, the corrections um, department, good. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, we're going to move on now uh, to number 16, um, and you're going to be breaking down Snowboard Kids 2 for us, Lane. Yeah, Snowboard Kids 2. So I, I originally, when I was making this list, I we, we both made our own copies and then sort of synthesized. I put, <laughs> I had Snowboard Kids, Snowboard Kids 2, and 1080 Snowboarding on the list. And I was like, you know what? That's probably too many snow snowboarding games uh, for the top 25 list. I think they're all great. What Snowboard Kids 2 has sort of the advantage over the first one is just is this awesome story mode. Uh, the first one, I don't remember if it has a story mode. The thing I remember about the first one is you do a lot of cool things. You unlock like this ninja character, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. But in Snowboard Kids 2, there's this great story mode where you buy like upgrades for your characters and snowboards and everything and everything it's a uh, it's kind of like a mix of 1080 snowboarding and diddy kong racing where where it is the story mode with these colorful you know lovable characters and uh um except and it has like the gameplay of something like 1080 snowboarding it doesn't feel as fast as 1080 snowboarding it's a little bit slower uh snowboard kids and snowboard kids too but this one I just remember being amazed by. I think I think this was a game a lot of people rented, like yeah. at Blockbuster. So same thing with the first Snowboard Kids. I think it's a little bit harder to find for that for that reason. Um, but my buddy, I remember uh, my, uh, next door when the first time I ever really played a lot of N sixty four. My friend next door had it. He rented Snowboard Kids too, and I remember spending the night at his house and just having the time of our lives with this game. So uh, yeah, highly recommended. Really cool. Kind of like a little bit more obscure title both of those snowboard kids games but both are super worth picking up yeah i know i completely agree and and they are they're definitely a um a again a a sign of the time um being the late 90s um and the next title i won't spend too much time on because i've talked about it at length uh previously uh number 15 we're gonna go uh tony hawks pro skater 2 um it, it just simply put is even though the n64 version is not as good as the playstation 1 version um it is uh still the the uh poster child for tony hawk games um tony hawk 2 uh, i believe had a perfect score from uh damn near every publication um and and really is a like i said it's a snapshot into uh the late 90s and and uh, extreme game culture and and things like that um but i'm gonna move quickly here to number was it 14 14 yep number 14 is wwf no mercy of course if the game was to be released today we would have to call it wwe no mercy um <laughs> you got that of, info that's that's what this show is for <laughs> right exactly you know of course because the world wildlife uh, foundation said you can't use wwf anymore <laughs> um so literally you know i mean uh animal rights activists took out uh a a you know, multi-billion dollar wrestling corporation somehow. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, WWF No Mercy is the uh, kind of the the ultimate version of what THQ is doing with wrestling games on Nintendo 64. Uh, it starts you know, originally with WCW and, uh, World Tour, then WCW versus NWO Revenge, and then we get WWF No Mercy, which uh, brings a lot more of like the creator wrestler stuff, um, a lot more of the uh, gameplay is just it's cleaner it's you know better uh better graphics and, and different things like that so uh really excellent game um definitely worth uh checking out um i don't want to spend too too much time on it because we've spent a decent amount of time talking about wwf games uh in this podcast <laughs> in the past uh, being, of course, that we are a uh, also a wrestling podcast that exists on the Wrestling Podcast Network. We could um, do like a whole episode. We should like play that game, you know, and and, and we, hey, we could. Yeah, I mean, I've been kicking around starting a Twitch channel. Uh, late, so go. I mean, maybe we'll just have to uh, stream No Mercy at some point. That'd be super um, fun. But uh, yeah, I'm going to throw it over to you uh, for our 13th entry here, Lane. Uh, Turok All Two right. Seeds of Evil. 
Yeah, this is like one of my favorite games ever. Uh, but, you know, you have to make some concessions because it's like you you can make this like if you make a personal list, like here's my favorite games. It's not going to line up with 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 like, you know, being objective about it and everything. I'm just super glad this is on here. Turok Two Seeds of Evil. Uh, it's my favorite Turok game. Um, probably. Oh, man. I'll get a lot of hate. I don't know if I it's my favorite uh, first person shooter on the N64, but it definitely ranks with them. So a lot of people argue about. Perfect Dark and Goldeneye, both fantastic games that you may hear about later. You will hear about later. Uh, but um, Turok Two Seeds of Evil is right up in there with them. And I think that uh, uh, it's different, though. Um, you know, if if Perfect Dark is sort of mission-based, same thing with Goldeneye. They're, they're kind of similar games to each other. Turok Two is this sprawling adventure kind of shooter um, with, with uh, maps that I think were bigger than any console first-person shooter uh, that had ever existed before. People would would actually have seen articles and in, 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 in game facts and everything that would actually like talk about how big the levels were compared to some other uh, games just to show how giant these levels were. And in fact, they were so giant that, that it kind of works in the game's detriment for some people because it's like it's like a level would go on and on. It was very difficult. So it's like, how, how could you like get, get through this? It takes forever. Right. Uh, but this is something like, and so as a kid, you know, this game was trash because I couldn't get past the first stage. But, you know, as I returned to it, I just was amazed by how the sprawling scale of it. Also, um, the story is really cool in this game. Uh, it made me want to actually figure out what Turok was. There's not a whole lot of good Turok games after the N64 either. No. Um, and, uh, and this one it also, uh, even for people who don't know, you know, a whole lot about Turok, everyone remembers the cerebral boar from Turok 2 Seeds of Evil, this weapon that you shoot and it literally is a homing device that goes into the enemy's brain and and just graphically, you know, shoots their brains out of their head. I'd never seen anything like that <laughs> before. I, before yeah, I it, is, it is worth noting that these games, uh, Alterock games are rated mature. Um, yeah. And, and there's very good reason for that, right? I mean, uh, I played through the first Turok game, uh, which had a freeze ray. Uh, that froze the enemies and then you would hit them with your uh, tomahawk and they would shatter into bloody pieces um, yeah so yeah i, I mean turok 2 um from the from the parts that i've played it definitely ratchet up the violence oh yeah um, from the first one and i think too correct me if i'm wrong lane is this the one where you can fly the pterodactyl around i don't think so or is that three I think it might be three because okay. I three I didn't play three had like you were you could play as these kids or whatever I don't think you played as like Turok the whole time. Mm. Uh, there were like you could pick between these two characters that that were sort of caught up in this invasion kind of plot. But I didn't I only played it a little. I think it's what's it called Oblivion Turok three Shadow um, of Oblivion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's Turok Rage Wars, which is just like hey, this multiplayer is awesome. So right. we're just going to make a game that's just the multiplayer um and so that was kind of the whole and all all four of those games or what one two three yeah all four of those games are super worth picking up but i think this is the best one um just a quick one of my earliest memories of turok is i was at a friend's house and i felt bad that we were playing because it was rated m and my parents certainly wouldn't want me to do that and my friend said oh no it's okay you can actually turn off the blood sure. and i was like oh that's cool and he's like oh oh but you could also make it green if you right. want so so when i i actually called i was a good good little boy i called my parents and i was negotiating with them uh you know i was like so you can you can make the blood green or you can turn the blood off and i had to like call them and get their permission i think they told me that i had to turn the blood off i don't think green was a uh, was a, a good negotiation <laughs> didn't, didn't change yeah it didn't change it enough i guess um <laughs> uh, yeah i know i think there was also a paintball mode that you could do and like big head mode and stuff like that oh yeah um good. it was acclaim acclaim every every acclaim uh, game they ever made there's a big head mode for some goddamn reason i just right. I, I just don't understand it but uh yeah. there i mean and that goes for nfl blitz and and things like that too uh yeah. which yes i i know uh before we get any further i'm just gonna say if you came onto this podcast hoping for nfl blitz to show up on this list it doesn't uh, um but stick around because there is you know there is some stuff uh that you're gonna love hearing about um but nfl blitz is not a part of it sorry guys. and isn't that isn't that better on other like wasn't blitz better on like dreamcast and stuff or was it was the i don't, I don't know i'd say dreamcast but uh it's certainly an arcade game um and, and ports for arcade games are off uh, are messy it, it actually is really good on 64 okay um but it just uh it didn't make the list sorry gotcha, guys gotcha, gotcha. Um, you want to hit up number 12? 
Yeah, let's go number 12, right? So we talked about Shadows of the Empire. Uh, number 12 is Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Um, and this game is uh, one of the best flight sim shooters um, that is not on rails. Um, and that's worth noting uh, because up to this point, a lot of flying games existed on a rail system. Um, there's no rails. You have an area... Uh, specific to the mission that you're playing. Uh, you do get to do the Battle of Hoth. You get to do the Death Star Trench Run. And all of this is done in a uh, pretty awesome view, right? You could do third person. You could do cockpit views. You could, you know, it, it was a really cool game. Um, it's it's one of those things where, like, I think we were victims of the moment some because uh, the Rogue Squadron books were really popular then. Uh, you know, Wedge has uh, become a, a more popular character, I think, for a lot of really big Star Wars uh, nerds as the years have gone by. I know, like, for me, like, people would ask me who my favorite Star Wars character was uh, in the 90s, and it, the answers were always Dash Rendar and Wedge Antilles. <laughs> I had no movie data to back up either of those. <laughs> it was strictly because of the books and the games on the Nintendo 64. Uh, so, yeah, Rogue Squadron uh, at number 12, uh, it just seems like a right fit there. It's a really, really good game, really clean game. I uh, I don't remember the game having bad glitches or anything. It's just super smooth. Mm. Um, so you know, I to, for me, you know, in, in that era, especially when you don't experience uh, frame rate drop and you don't experience bad glitching, uh, that's a huge win <laughs> in the 64 yeah. bit era. Um, but yeah, so that's my number 12. Um, uh, there, and we're gonna go, uh, for the last uh, game here of part one. And uh, this is one that, that we both really loved and, and Lane mentioned it earlier. Uh, it's going to be Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, yeah. Not not Banjo-Tooie. Um, although that, I think that was a good sequel. Yeah. Uh, but the original Banjo-Kazooie um, is, uh, in my opinion, one of the uh, better 3D platformers uh, to exist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I uh, we, we mentioned one thing you'll notice is not on this list is Donkey Kong 64. Uh, which we both uh, sort of thought that the other one was going to put on the list, but then neither of us wanted to uh, because uh, really, and a lot of people love Doc Young 64, but it basically takes the really pure and fluid and good and working formula of Banjo-Kazooie and says, basically, we're going to take that times six. And it's just one of the best examples of more not being more because Banjo-Kazooie is just sort of like the perfect, you know, perfectly balanced experience. Yeah, it's worth noting too. It is the same developer for Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo Kazooie, of course, being rare, um, mm. who we are not done with on this list. Um, you know, Rare was doing uh, anything and everything they could. They really tied themselves to the 64. Um, but, you know, coming up with a original character in Banjo Kazooie, uh, of course, Banjo uh, is a bear, Kazooie is a uh, bird that rides on his back. Um, it's really just, it, the, the things you do in this game are just bonkers. And, it, and, you really like sit there and go and not to be confused, you know, with, with the, you know, video game character bonkers. Um, <laughs> but it really makes you go like, huh? Like that's, I, you know, it, they, the game design is something that you didn't see and it was using um, 3d platforming in such a, a really good way too, that, you know, a lot of it was uh, vertical platforming versus just horizontal platforming. And I think this is one of the first games to really take that, and make traversing those vertical areas uh, more challenging and then also from a development standpoint, more creative. Mm -hmm. The uh, one game that really reminds me of this is, and I was talking to you about this before, but I, I, uh, I've been playing Mario Odyssey and I think that game owes a lot to this game. Uh, yep. the, the, the and to Rare in general and another game we're gonna talk about later, but uh, the whole style of like, oh, I'm gonna go in this room and then it becomes sort of this little mini game kind of experience or a mini sort of kind of like a obstacle course kind of thing. I mean, that really reminds me of Banjo-Kazooie where you would you would talk to this person and like, oh, hey, you have to do this thing to get this puzzle piece or whatever. And I think in a lot of ways, Mario Odyssey owes more of that style to Banjo-Kazooie than even the Mario series. It feels like that to me anyway. So, yeah, no, I can't disagree with you there. Um, I think Banjo-Kazooie is a a great game to end uh, with part one of our top 25 list uh, for the top 25 games of the Nintendo 64. 
uh, tune in next episode. We will come back with our top 10. Uh, I promise that you won't want to miss it. Uh, although after <laughs> listening to it, maybe you will want to miss it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, definitely uh, check uh, check us out. Uh, make sure you're listening to all of the podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Make sure you're heading over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. Pick up your 8-Bit Suplex t-shirt today. Um, and then you know, go ahead and follow us on uh, at 8-Bit Suplex. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Later. Thank you for listening to 8-Bit Suplex Podcast. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.